0: Hello and welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. As always, we have a special guest today who's never been on the podcast before. This is his first time. We have John Avery Emerson, who is the author of this book, The Deep State Assassination of Martin Luther King. And um, uh, this this is going to be an interesting topic and probably a bit of a controversial one, but I'm no stranger to controversy. So, uh Dr. Emerson, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what made you interested in this subject?
1: Well, uh, glad to be here, John. I appreciate you, uh, uh, you having me on your podcast. Well, I grew up in West Tennessee, about 75 miles from uh, Memphis in the small town of Alamo. And on April the 4th, 1968, I was one month away from graduating from high school when uh, Dr. King was assassinated. And so I feel like I've almost lived this situation. Obviously I I wasn't in Memphis when they had curfew and all of the, uh, problems that, that they had, uh, our local National Guard unit was mobilized down there. So I, I knew uh, a number of the people who who were actually on the scene. And then, uh, then my great uncle, my mother's uncle, uh, Harry Avery, was commissioner of correction. And within a year or so of Ray being captured, he was in the custody of my uncle in the Tennessee state penitentiary. He began the only real investigation. When I say real, the only independent investigation uh, free from influence, free from outside influence uh, into the King assassination. And within three months, governor Buford Ellington who had found out about the investigation and had warned him to stop it. We, we don't want to know what happened, (laughs) uh, fired him. So he went out the door and, but my, the, the interest has always been there. Then I had the opportunity in the early nineties to interview James Earl Ray four times. There are not many of us left to actually have that experience. And so uh, eventually I knew I was going to do a book. And this is my second one on the King assassination. So
0: uh, I don't you, I don't think you mentioned it, but you are the uh, current mayor. Is that right? Of that's, Alamo, Tennessee. That's correct. I'm, and the, I'm
1: the mayor of Alamo, Tennessee.
0: And you're the third in your family to be the mayor of that small town.
1: My dad served, uh, served two different, periods. He served a couple of terms and then later on three more terms when they when they were two year terms. And my my grandfather, my uh my mother's father, and my namesake uh served two non-consecutive periods as mayor as well.
0: Wow. So I mean this is something I've talked about on the podcast before, not the topic of our conversation today, but uh, thinking local, living in a local area, building up mm-hmm. trust over the course of generations, um, is, is something that I think we've lost that still somehow exists in, in some of these small pockets in, in different States. It, it, and it sounds like you're in one of them. So, uh, that must be a, a wonderful thing to live with such a rich history and, uh, the, such a familiarity with the people that you serve there. Um, I want, to, I want to talk to you, though, about your book. You have a, uh, a quote here. This is from page six in the beginning. And you said this, uh, James Earl Ray is a symbol. He is the symbol, uh, the visible, I should say, manifestation of something that is invisible. The violent Southern white racism that killed Dr. King. At least this is what we are told. And um, you're writing, I think, more from like you've been doing all the reading on uh, in, in I I don't know if I want to say the secular world or the academic world, you know the the official narrative of of what happened. You've been reading that, and and this is the conclusion you've come to. But for the sake of uh, my audience, which I think many of whom are evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. I just wanted to highlight something real quick. Uh, get your reaction because it fits in with what you're saying here. Uh, Thebti Anabule is a Uh, pastor in Virginia. He was for a long time part of an organization called Nine Marks, which is a Christian ministry. But he had a lot of influence uh, with the Gospel Coalition, another Christian organization. And he had written a blog a few years ago that caused a lot of controversy. Some people may remember it because he said this. He said, James Earl Ray initially confessed to assassinating Dr. King, but he did not act alone. Many have long believed there was a literal conspiracy of government actors, the mafia and Memphis police. Whether or not you believe Ray acted as a patsy for these conspirators, he did not act alone. He acted with the tacit and sometimes explicit approval of white supremacists. He acted with the encouragement of a white society dedicated to the advantage of whites above all others and simultaneously the segregation, oppression and exploitation of black people. Almost done. Ray acted with the assistance of whites who suppressed their consciences. He acted with the assistance of anti-civil rights propagandists and white collar country club segregationists. He acted with the assistance of uh, FBI, um, which I know we're going to talk about a bit. Uh, He talks about them trying to malign and silence black dissent. And um, these parties acted in concert in the same direction against Dr. King and by extension, the millions of African-Americans hoping for some larger piece of freedom's promise. And he he stops at the end of the quote, "Is I'm saying, the entire society killed Dr. King. This society had been slowly killing him all along. And he goes on and calls for, uh, well, basically blames the ancestors of white people from that era for having guilt in this assassination (laughs) So I, I know there's some overlap there because we're going to talk about the government and um, what kind of uh, part they played. But this view, when, when I saw that, I thought I've I've seen this before. I mean, how common is that view that th- this is uh, whites, especially Southern, but white people in America, racists who are responsible for this?
1: Uh, how common is that view?
0: Yeah, I mean, in well, the academic uh, that's, world. And- that's
1: the persona that. Was painted by uh, by the four uh, authors whose works I uh, I go through in in my book. Uh, George McMillan, who wrote the Making of an Assassin, and um, William Bradford Huey, and his book, uh, He Killed the Dreamer, which he had had a actually had a contract to write that book with James R. Ray and the initial title was We Killed the Dreamer, and he kind of switched during the process. And then uh, Gerald Posner, who's written extensively about uh, several assassinations, uh, the JFK assassination as well as the MLK assassination. And then more recently, uh, Hampton Sides, who uh, wrote hellhound on his trail. And they all portray Ray as this extremely violent racist who uh, was on a mission. The only problem is they have no evidence that Ray was a racist. He was in the army. He had a record in the army. He was in uh, fed, the federal penitentiary system. He was in Leavenworth, so he had a record in Leavenworth. He had a record. I believe he served some time in Florida. I know he served time in in uh, in, in California. I think maybe in Illinois, and and certainly in the Missouri prison, uh, all before the assassination. And there's no record anywhere of of uh, his his racism. The, uh, of course, he was white and he sounded Southern because he talked kind of slow and had a little bit of a draw, but you know, he he grew up in Illinois. He wasn't a Southerner. So there's uh, a a lot to the uh, quote that you've cited, but look beyond that just a little bit and glimpse how easily it was to manipulate all of us in, into believing uh, that, that Ray did it because of racism, because he certainly didn't have any other motive. And as soon as Dr. King was dead, and within minutes they came over the radio and said, they're looking for a white man and a white mustang. I dare say that just about every Southerner and probably every citizen of the country draw the conclusion, well, a white man killed a civil rights leader because he wanted to shut him up. Now these authors went into great detail in making specific accusations, certain bars that, uh, Ray was in, in in California and situations where he worked, even uh, some of his prison uh, records and so forth. particularly uh, Mcmillan, George Mcmillan. The only problem is Mcmillan's book came out, it was published in 1966. pardon me, 1976, right on the eve of the vote by the U.S. House of Representatives to stand up the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which was in operation from 76 to 79. It had two different chairmen uh, during that period, Uh, and it went across two Different Congresses, so the 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 next Congress had to uh, had to reauthorize it, uh, which they did. But the committee investigators, uh, eventually headed by G. Robert Blakey, who was the general counsel, they investigated all of these allegations. Uh, McMillan had about had about a dozen of. Them. They could not prove a single one of them, and they positively disproved about two thirds of them. So all of that was made up propaganda. That's that's where that came from. Uh, McMillan had been a propaganda writer during the war. He worked for the uh, Office of War Information, and he he married uh, Priscilla Johnson McMillan. Uh, who likewise wrote a uh, lone nut gunman about Oswald. So there the husband and wife team, they wanted you to believe during their entire lives that their work was unbiased. It came from them. It came from their research. It was not influenced but the problem is, in recent years, the uh, the releases by the National Archives under the JFK Records Act clearly shows, as, and I've got it in, in the book, there's a specific reference to the document in the book, and anybody can look up online, it's very easy to find, that shows that Priscilla McMillan, who only died a couple of years ago and outlived her husband by decades, was uh, in spite of her assurances to the contrary, including emails to me, personal emails where we exchange, and I ask her questions and she answered most of them. She was, uh, uh, one, of, one of the documents shows that her CIA handler, which she had denied her whole life, was handing her off to another CIA handler. So you have to dismiss all of that as a very elaborate effort of propaganda. Now, who's behind that effort to propagandize the people of this country? Well, it's the CIA, of course.
0: Yeah, well this gets us to the I guess the main question, who did kill Martin Luther King Jr.? Uh if it wasn't James Earl Ray, or if James Earl Ray did not act alone, who uh, assisted him? And and I know there's there's so much. I mean, this this book is um quite extensive, so we can't get into all of it, but um you know, m- maybe give us a few of the main things that people ought to know about the the, the official story that that the holes in it that don't make sense.
1: Well, uh one of the most interesting holes in the story is ray's sophisticated aliases that he he used for primarily four aliases from just within a few weeks of his escape from the prison uh in missouri at jefferson city in let's say that would have been april it was about 50 weeks before Dr. King was killed. So that we're, now we're going back to April of 67. So um, he began using these, these aliases uh, very shortly after that. In fact, as soon as he came back from his first trip to Canada, which was in the summer of, uh, of 1967 and it turns out, uh, well, well, certainly, when he entered his guilty plea, which was a a rambling, uh, less than four-minute exchange with the criminal court in Memphis. If you, I've run the timer on it, the elapsed timer. It's three minutes and 43 seconds. That was the whole, that, that was the entirety of, what the court knew about James Earl Ray, and it didn't even know about these aliases. And these aliases are extremely important and extremely suspicious because, in a sense, they weren't aliases. These were personas. Ray used four personas while he was on the lam from uh, about, uh, May, uh, maybe early June 67 until uh, June of '68 when he had escaped from Canada and gone to England and was already in, in Portugal and had come back to, um, come back to England. And these four personas were real Canadian men who lived within a five mile radius of each other, but otherwise did not know each other. And one of them, uh, the, the one that he used for the longest was Eric S. Galt, G-A-L-T. And all this is in the book and the pictures are in the book. Uh, in fact, there's an array of, uh, pictures, uh, Maybe I could. Maybe I can find this pretty quickly because it's it's uh, it's striking. <laughs> it's just uh, striking. But uh, the Eric S. Galt persona. That uh, here we go. Yeah. Is that? Yeah.
0: What page is that?
1: That's on page uh, four thirty-seven. Four thirty-seven. So they're, they're the four guys, real Canadian men, all of them alive, all of them about James Earl Ray's age, all of them about 5'10 or so, all of them with dark hair, blue eyes, and a medium build. And these, uh, so... You see what Ray looked like. <laughs> there's
0: Oh yeah, let me put you full screen. Yeah. Hold on. There you go.
1: There you go. Right. That's a picture of Ray. Right. Cleaned up when he applied for the uh the Canadian uh, passport.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so he he used all these aliases. I yeah. I know you you talk about um he he wound up. I, there there's so many details that were fascinating, but one of them was um the commonalities between him and Lee Harvey Oswald. He was showing up at the Mexican embassy, you know, right before. Well, there's a-
1: this allegation. I, first of all, we're, we'll chase rabbits just a moment. Right. Okay. I don't think Oswald, it wasn't Oswald at the Mexican embassy in 63. And, and uh, what would that have been October of 63? I don't believe it was, it didn't look like him. And when this, uh, this document that was released just in the Trump and Biden era, uh, document releases, uh, there was this allegation raised that, well, we think it was James Earl Ray at the same Cuban embassy a few years later in the, uh, in November of 1967. So, you need to know something about James Earl Ray, and maybe maybe we should touch on this. James Earl Ray probably didn't even know what an embassy was. Uh, but, um, I mean, it, he, he would be one of the last people that uh, you you would think of that would have any business with an embassy, particularly a foreign embassy in a foreign country. Uh, he just uh, he, he was had he was personally incapable of the extremely complex crime of stalking a prominent person, of knowing where to stalk him and uh, shooting him and escaping and getting out of the country. I mean, this was a guy who had eighth grade education. He was a ninth grade dropout, and he eluded the largest manhunt in the history of North America. And took a bus from Atlanta to uh, Toronto, and then uh, had very suspicious contacts at two different rooming houses. Uh, by then, he had dumped the Galt uh, persona, the 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 Galt alias, and and he was using uh, the the. Uh, the I believe the Bridgman alias first, and then uh, eventually the Sneed alias. Uh, so all these are, you, you know, you're, you're dealing with a guy who you wouldn't hire to wash your car because he's gonna mess something up. and And he's able to elude by himself, the largest manhunt in the history of North America. I mean,
0: that's. Well, why don't you walk us through a little, like, like what was involved, like the chances of someone being able to um, get a firearm that's sighted incorrectly um, right. to, to the exact place where the, they can, from from this supposed hotel room, shoot Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Like, what what are well, the chances? What what are the obstacles?
1: Yeah, just, just the location is a, uh, l- let's start with that problem. Because if you want to kill somebody, you, you need to know where they are, right? I mean, it's not just a matter of aiming it somewhere. You're aiming it where you know they are. And all of the explanations as to uh, how Ray knew where Dr. King was in Memphis, the one by Posner, the one by McMillan, uh, the one that was, uh, that was repeated in uh, Sampton ha- uh, uh, Hampton's uh, sides book. All that's false. It's made up. They said it was on the front page of the uh, either the commercial appeal or the press cemeter. I've forgotten which. I think maybe the press cemeter is the afternoon paper at the time. The Memphis Press Cemeter. And it wasn't. I went back to the archives. It's not there. I even had an email exchange with Hampton sides. He said, "Well, well, you know that's probably a mistake. We conflated that from some other stuff, and we'll take care of it in the next edition." Well, I looked in the next edition; they didn't. It was still there because it 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 is one of those. Uh, let me put it this way: Judge Arthur Haynes Jr., who. He and his father were Ray's original attorneys when he was extradited from England back to Memphis. He made a statement, he made a comment to me a number of years ago now that has really stuck with me and as I look at various elements of the case, that's a, you know, it's just a series of ahas. But he said that when they were representing Ray the government storyline was so precise and and so meticulous that if you attacked successfully any element of it, the whole thing collapsed. And, and certainly the whole thing of where Ray knew Dr. King was never existed. It was never proven, the House Select Committee had no explanation for it. The writers had no truthful explanation for it. They they proposed some ideas that they said were fact when in uh, actually they were not. And so uh, that element is just a complete mystery. Now let's go to the rooming house. Uh, And that was interesting because Ray checked into the rooming house. It certainly was Ray on the afternoon of the assassination. And he used the alias of John Willard. That's as far as we know, that was the only time that he used that particular uh, Canadian uh, persona. But so he was on the second floor. There's a community bathroom there are several other tenants up there, and here he is with a, uh, with a bathroom, uh, a, a, a community bathroom that he's going to spend maybe two or three hours in. He's got a rifle in there. Uh, no, nobody saw the rifle. Nobody saw him on that floor that afternoon. They saw somebody. Uh, Nobody saw him fire the shot uh, and the position of having to stand in the bathtub and look out the window with a very narrow uh, view across the street. It's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, here's a a picture. I think this is of, uh, I was just looking it up. That's uh, it's kind of small, I guess. And that's the the, the bathroom, I guess, from where he, so he would have been standing right there. That's the window. Yes. Um, and he would have had to have been there knowing that he would be in range. I mean, it, it is, it is an interesting, um, you know, I, I would have thought with the profile that, um, Martin Luther King jr. Had things would have been fairly kept under wraps. He had bodyguards and that kind of thing. And, um it, well, it would... the Memphis
1: police department uh met him at the airport the uh, the uh, the afternoon before and they didn't yeah. even know where he was gonna stay he'd he'd been at the a holiday in rivermont uh uh the, the about ten days earlier when he had, had been in Memphis but they didn't know where he, he was gonna stay right how oh, on earth <laughs> did james Earl reagan gonna, gonna know something the Memphis police department didn't even know
0: yeah yeah um I mean there there's a lot of interesting pictures here but there, here's a, the famous one maybe you can uh, let me see if I can pull this up for you um you, you've seen this picture I'm assuming oh yes right yeah yeah, yeah. so that way they're all pointing and I, I think they're are they pointing towards then where the shot well, they're towards?
1: they're pointing uh Oop, okay. they're they're pointing at an angle that is uh closer to the top of the adjacent. Uh, building, the the flop house, rooming house, Bessie Brewer rooming house, rather than the window, because it was only a slight downward angle from that bathroom window to uh, a man standing, standing up on the catwalk as, as you see there. Okay. So they're, they're pointing to something that's probably a little higher than that window. More are, are like, you suggesting like the, roof of the building
0: are you do you think in the picture that they're suggesting it was the roof then or uh i i'm not sure what, what are you trying to to say what's the significance of them pointing on the roof
1: well they're 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 pointing at an angle that could have been the second floor or it could have been the roof
0: i got you okay um okay so I want to make sense of this for everyone who's uh, listening, because there's other things I'd love to get into, like the ballistics tests and these kinds of things. But I think the the thing popping in most people's minds at this point is, but didn't James O'Reilly confess to doing it? <laughs> didn't he go to prison for doing it? Um, why is that? Like, what evidence do well, you need? Let's get into that, because
1: that's a uh, that that's that tells right. a lot. Well, about- you've
0: talked to him personally, so I figured. Yeah. But right. there was something, if, if he meant something different or disagreed with that, uh, well, me, then you would know,
1: first of all, let's look at the circumstances of James Earl Ray's incarceration and the pressure he was under the, uh, Shelby County Sheriff's department, uh, all sheriffs run the uh, county. Sheriffs run the uh, county jail uh, jail system in Tennessee. Basically, they're not anymore. There are almost no cities that have their own city jail anymore. It's all uh, run by the county, and it, and that's the way it was, even in the 1960s, with uh, in, in in Shelby County, uh, the the uh, the county that Memphis is in. So. They took out. Uh, they made two cells uh, into one. They took out the bars in between. Now the reason they did that is because they installed a closed circuit television camera system in that cell. They inst- and and back then the resolution was very bad unless you had a lot of lights. It it took. TV studio type lights to make that work. So they installed the lights. They had them on 24 7 for uh, from June until the following March. They had a jailer in Ray's cell 24 7 the whole time. They welded steel plate. On the, uh, on the window so that Ray couldn't even see outside. He could, if, if he, if he woke up taking a nap or woke up in the middle of the night and he asked him what, you know, it's two o'clock. Is it, is it AM or PM? He wouldn't know. He didn't see the sunlight. They didn't let him out to exercise. And he was under surveillance. In the view of the jailer, when he went to sleep, when he woke up, when he went to the bathroom, when he dressed, zero privacy, 247 four seven, and they they logged all of his activities, everything that he said, everything that he did, whether he read a book or read a newspaper or whatever, that all that's in the in the logs. Whether he asked for an aspirin and he took aspirin, whether he had sweet tea or unsweet tea with his bologna sandwich for lunch, all that's uh, in there. And the Haynes, his attorney, tried to get the court to intervene and, and stop that sort of uh, surveillance and at least give him an opportunity to sleep at night without having uh, TV studio cameras on him. Uh, but the court turned that down. In in the process, they asked Sheriff Bill Morris uh, about all these details, and all that's in the in the court record. So he was he was confined and isolated, and then you come to the point where he and his brothers decide right before the trial, we want to get rid of the Hanges and we want Percy Foreman. So Percy Foreman came in, one of the leading uh, murder lawyers in the country. And at first indicated to Ray and to his family that uh, this is going to be an easy case. I'm going to get him off uh, we're going to put up a defense. We're going to, we're going to go to trial. Uh, the state doesn't have a chance. The state can't prove anything. They don't have a murder weapon. This is part of the ballistics that you uh, referred to. And maybe, maybe we'll get to that and may, maybe we'll have to do that later. But uh, the, the, the weapon was never proven to be uh, the murder weapon. And so uh, over time, Somebody got to Percy Foreman, and, pers- and the FBI started feeding him information to pressure Ray. They discovered that his elderly father had uh, skipped parole in Iowa decades before, and they told him they going If you don't confess, FBI's gonna arrest your daddy, and he's gonna he's gonna die in jail just like just like you are. If if you don't get executed, as a matter of fact, Foreman threatened him. They said they're they're going to fry you in the electric chair. Well, that's a problem uh, because Tennessee did have a death penalty, but it had uh, successive governors that uh, served for uh, a let's see, I guess about a 16-year period. Frank Clement and then Buford Ellington. They had not allowed any executions. They had committed. Uh, they had. Co- uh, um, commuted, pardon me, they had commuted the death sentences to uh, life and present of every person. Tennessee had not executed uh, a, an inmate in way more than 10 years. And uh, then Foreman gave his brother Jerry money. And we've got uh, in, in the book, there's a picture of one of the checks that that Percy Foreman wrote to uh, Jerry Ray, and he told uh, Jerry, his uh, James Earl Ray's brother, and he told James Earl Ray, "I've given you your brother money, and I'm not giving him any more unless you go into the courtroom and 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 plead guilty." And uh, in addition to which, there was a three-party contract that helped pay for. Ray's defense. It initially was between Ray and William Bradford Huey, who was doing the writing, and the Hanges. So that the Hanges would, uh, so that James Earl Ray would feed the information to Huey. Huey would write it up and sell it to Look Magazine, Live Magazine, others, and eventually do a book. And then from those proceeds, he would pay Ray's illegal bills. So So Foreman inherited that. And right on the eve of the uh, guilty plea uh, in in March of 1969, uh, Foreman told Ray, uh, I'm I'm assigning, and, and put this in writing. This is in writing. This is all documented and referenced in the book, that uh, Ray would, uh, uh, that I'm, I'm going to assign this contract back to you. It's my property. By then he had gotten Ray to, uh, <laughs> to give him the, uh, the value of the whole story. But he says uh, uh, this contract is my property, but I'm going to assign it back to you. If you go in and, and, and plead guilty and don't say anything embarrassing, uh, uh, in in the court about this whole thing. In other words, just keep your mouth shut and uh, and 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 say that you except to say that you you did it. Well, that's suborning testimony. That's uh, that's bribery. He he uh, proposed and did this in writing. He proposed giving Ray something of value as long as he said what Foreman wanted him to say in court the next day. And the court knew nothing about, about any of this. All of that was in, in, in the background.
0: So is your contention or, or your uh, is what you're proposing that James Earl Ray then confessed to a crime he did not do because he was pressured into doing so?
1: That's correct. One one of the elements uh, that a a court is obligated to establish is whether or not uh, in accepting a guilty plea, whether it's for uh, uh, a a fight, whether it's assault, a simple assault, or whether it's murder, uh, the court has to know that the person is entering the guilty plea uh, under no duress if there is duress the court can uh, is obligated under uh, 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 the uh, under court precedent not to accept the guilty plea
0: So did uh, I'm just curious did he when you've talked to him interviewed him has he said to you hey look uh, I didn't actually do it I, I or, or is he not? So, that well too... of course
1: he did you know? he did okay all right yeah. i mean that's right so he, and i'm sure
0: he, you're not the only one then he said that too oh
1: uh, well he said that to uh martin luther king's children who uh, have concluded that he didn't do it
0: oh i didn't so wait his martin luther king jr's children don't believe it was james Earl ray
1: right now i'm, I'm not speaking on their behalf but just just publicly uh Dexter King, I think, and and some of the other relatives have said they don't believe that James Earl Ray was guilty.
0: So who's guilty in this? Who who? And you you mention a source that yeah. you th- you think now, but you you do make it clear that you can't piece everything together because we don't have all the information. But you do have a fairly strong case, I, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, it's too late now for us to ever know who the trigger man was. That's You know, uh, we'll never know that too many years have have passed. Uh, But obviously it was a professional hit because somebody fired one shot from a remote concealed location, escaped with the weapon and uh, was on the lam. So that's that's not amateur. And by the way, that's not KKK. I mean, they, they would take credit for it, and it, and it's certainly not mafia. They would spray the whole thing with machine gun bullets, and and um, and you know it would have it would have all their 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 earmarkings uh, of it. Uh, but um, Ray is uh, Ray was just not capable of that sort of sophisticated crime. What
0: was this because he was a CIA asset though, right? He had an involvement Oh, sometime. yes, he
1: had a he had a handler. His name was uh, Raul. And in okay. the book uh in in the book it uh, there's um there's information in there that uh I obtained from uh Judge Arthur haynes Jr. uh that they got the contents of Ray's, of the trunk of Ray's Mustang uh, sometime during the summer of, of 68. And he said it was just, uh, uh, he said it was it was electric, that they got a very small jacket. Now, Ray had always described Raul, which the government says didn't exist, Raul's was made up. Raul, uh, the, the House Select Committee said, well, maybe maybe he's, uh, it, it, it's a conflation of various characters, including probably his brothers. Uh, but neither one of them were. were, oh, were... Yeah. So a psychological reading of it. Yeah. Right, right, right. So uh, Ray always described Raul as a very diminutive man, a small man. And Judge Haynes said we got the we got the contents of the trunk, the evidence r- released to the defense. And there was a small, small jacket that he said Ray couldn't possibly get it on. And he made kind of a a funny comment to me uh, that uh, i guess I guess if we had uh, if Ray hadn't fired us at the last minute right before the trial, and hired Percy Foreman. That I would have been the one who said, "If the jacket doesn't fit, you must quit." <laughs> well, that's,
0: you know, I mean, it's funny, but it's it's uh, it's sad that this that evidence um, hasn't. I mean, is that even mentioned in the other books that you cited at the beginning? Does anyone try to account? No, for No, I don't that? think no.
1: anybody said anything about that. No. Yeah. So no, because that's. That, that that's evidence that doesn't line up right with the government storyline. Sure. There are things, there are some things that line up with the government storyline, but when you start looking at all of the elements of it and, and, and you, you see uh, where these weaknesses are, the whole thing just falls apart. You take, a, you know, it's, it's like a, a, a big uh, Lego thing, uh, uh, you know, you, you pull out the, the wrong block and the whole thing collapses.
0: Yeah. I mean, and there's so many little things like this. You've just scratched the surface. Like even in, with the ballistic tests, y- you talk about how, you know, the rifle that they assume was used wasn't even sighted in <laughs> like, right, uh, right. For, for, so uh, there there's all kinds of little things like that, that just don't make sense. Um, and, and I wonder like what,
1: and the rifle uh, yeah, had a three-round magazine. Uh, I have one very similar to that that I, I use for deer hunting. Uh, mine's an automatic. That one was 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 a pump, uh, a Remington, uh, a pump action uh, rifle. Uh, but there was only one round in the magazine. So uh, here you've got a property hoodlum who's not real bright let let's say he fired the shot he he's going to load one uh one round into a rifle that'll take one in the chamber and and three in the magazine what if what if he hits his target but he runs into a little trouble trying to get away he's going to have to fumble around and try to try to reload, just stuff like that. That doesn't make any sense at all. Nobody's nobody's going to do that.
0: Well, well not if he's the kind of person to sit there waiting for hours and, and yeah. be, you know, if he's a careful cautious man, then of course he would have more rounds. Um, So uh, the question I think naturally probably coming across people's mind at this point is then if it was the government, if there was yeah. a hit man, if the, so what was the government's interest in this? Why? Well, could, I, I,
1: yeah. They, it, it, uh, the chapter on uh, that I have in the book that deals with the uh, military and other surveillance of Dr. King, uh, establishes if you are open minded and you are willing to read what the circumstances tell you. The circumstances are clear that uh, the Pentagon and CIA were very concerned that Dr. King was going to interrupt the draft by telling black uh, teenagers don't register and uh, don't comply with the uh, induction notices and they were likewise fearful and this is also in the book documented that he might tell soldiers and marines in the field in Vietnam lay down your weapons and don't go on don't go on patrol so whether or not he was about to do that they certainly feared that and you can imagine the chaos of the late sixties with an unpopular war, if suddenly only white people were going to die from now on. I mean, that would, yeah, create some problems.
0: Well, it, there's I mean, I've also of course, heard that uh, you know there there's this surveillance of MLK because there was a concern he was talking to the Soviets that maybe yes. he was on their uh, side in a sense that he was a Marxist. and I mean, did that well, they, were, into... they were
1: afraid that he was being uh, financed by uh, international communist governments. Yes, that's clear uh, okay that that's that's documented. Um, now, they were never of course they were never able to prove that. They were there was no evidence. They just uh, missed the fact that there was a lot of legitimate uh, opposition to the war across the board, white, black, northern, southern, everywhere. Democrats, Republicans, uh, they just they just couldn't believe that they uh, these were the people who were who served and uh, and had some leadership capacity even then in World War Two. And that uh, that only been about 20 years, but the whole society changed in that period of time and they did. not
0: what, why do you think uh, it was to their advantage to take him out completely? Why not, like, just blackmail him with uh, the information they collected about his sexual escapades and that kind of thing, and, and use him for their own purposes instead of kill him? But were they just worried he wasn't going to go along with that? Well, I mean, that's, we're getting into speculative not territory. Not in the
1: documents. It, it really, yeah. does, it really doesn't address. But that I want to know. Danger. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I know I know you want to know and it'd be nice to know, but it's just not there. It's not there. Okay. Um what are
0: the, what's the relevance of this? I mean, you you obviously you're an expert on it. Um I guess two questions. First, your book uh is well-sourced, well-documented, well-written and it is not it, it is not seen as a mainstream book. It's not um you you've been shut out of polite society, we'll say. Yeah. uh because of this. Um, so, so that's one of the things I guess I wanted to ask you about is, is is why is that? And then that leads right into the next question, which is why is this so
1: important? Well, uh, here's part of my explanation, uh, for, uh, both ends of that question, really. Uh, my book, I think. Destroys the credibility of the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which had had two jobs. One, they had they had a um, uh, they had a task force. They had two task forces. One of them was on the JFK assassination, and the other one was on the MLK assassination. And when you destroy the credibility on the MLK side and you see that they even uh, doctored and changed documents to make their storyline uh, look more believable, then you have to step back and say, well, well, why did they do that? Uh, or would they manipulate and lie about one of the assassinations, but not both of them. So in in, in essence, you're dealing with, uh, by extension, the credibility of the government storyline about both assassinations, President Kennedy and Martin Luther King. And you don't have to do a whole lot of thinking, I don't believe, to realize that, If you come to the conclusion, my government is capable of this, well, then it changes your whole view, does it not?
0: Yeah, and I think because of 2020, a lot of people are more open to this. I mean, I would not have been as open to even hearing someone like yourself out probably years ago. Um, I mean, I would have talked to you, but I would have probably thought. Yeah you know, that, th- that might be a little crazy. Um, and, and without looking at the documentation, just, you know, out of hand, because that's just the story I have been told. And, uh, but of course, I think, especially after 2020, people are much more open to believing, yeah, the government could lie to us about something <laughs> right? And because they just did. And, right. um, and, and so I think that, you know, the, some of these things are coming back up. Some of these things that were put to rest that probably should have been dealt with are now coming back up. And I I see this as kind of um, important. This is from the evangelical Christian standpoint of um, watching the the politics of the Christian community in this country. Uh, MLK has become somewhat of a lionized figure in especially Baptist circles, but really all evangelical circles. They want to claim him as, as this is the ideal Christian person and, and he was killed and he's a martyr and we can learn from that and, and mm-hmm. almost like a, a Jesus like figure to be honest. And um and, and then of course, you know, the the question is, you know, how, how do we deal with some of these uh race racial tensions? And it's it's usually the very government who lied to us about MLK and how he was killed is the same government they want to somehow rectify all these disparities.
1: Exactly. So I exactly. think that's
0: a Many, many
1: people feel that the government has been and is the final just arbiter of race relations except in my own personal opinion that's that's just the propaganda that they want to use against us
0: yeah yeah, so I, I would just encourage people who are out there, uh, whether you're Christian or not, but I know many who listen to this podcast are to just uh, you know get this book, go through it. I mean, it's it's interesting too. I mean, it's written in an interesting way. It's a story, but um, you know, I think you'll walk away pretty convinced that uh, the story you've been told about this is probably not true, and um, if that's the case, then. it it might cultivate a healthy uh, cynicism about government sources, (laughs) which I think is is probably at this point, we just need to be honest. I mean, I don't want that, but that's just the world we live in. Um, So people can go to Shotwell Publishing. Uh, I think it's, is it shotwellpublishing.com? I think it is.
1: Shotwellpublishing.com. Or they can go
0: to what, Amazon, I think.
1: It's also on Amazon, but it's uh, shotwellpublishing.com is the publisher's website.
0: Is it? Is there an audible, like a, a on a book on tape kind of thing yet, or? Um, you know,
1: I'll have to look again. I I I think the plan is to make it a Kindle. Yes.
0: I can probably tell everyone right now.
1: <laughs> um,
0: I got the technology. Let's see, uh, the deep state assassination of MLK is yes, on Amazon Kindle. and it's on Kindle. Yes. Yeah. So there's not an audible yet, but but it is on Kindle. Right. Uh, right. It's uh yeah about ten dollars on Kindle thirty dollars for the paperback, um but yeah you can uh you can go on Amazon and get that or you can just go to Shotwell Publishing I'm sure they'd appreciate it probably if you went to the website oh yeah um, more than going to Amazon um but uh yeah anyway uh you know John I appreciate your time and you're just uh you know we could have talked to her a lot longer with all the information but I hope that this helps you and and gets the word out
1: well I I certainly do and I. I appreciate it very much.
0: Yeah. So, last question. You said you're a deer hunter. You gotten anything this season? Anything? No, I really
1: haven't started yet. It's been so warm here. I'm 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 not in the mood. I need I need (laughs) to feel a little cold air. I I need to feel like I need to turn my propane heater on in the deer blind.
0: Oh wow. Well, you'd be at home right now up here. I mean, it's in the 50s. I I think it's actually warmer today. It's hitting like 60. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's certainly it's cold in the morning. So. All right. Well, um, uh, is there, I guess this is the real last question. Is there anywhere you want to send people? I don't know if you have a website or a blog or where they can contact you. I know you have Twitter.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter's the main thing. I'll, I'll have things on my Twitter feed from time to time.
0: Okay. Or X, I guess they call it now. Yes, X, what, right. What, what's your handle?
1: Uh, let's see. <laughs> okay i'm, I'm logging on question to i have to look it up i
0: found it it's john underscore a underscore yeah. emerson so it's your yeah. name right with an underscore between the middle initials right um so ch- check out john avery emerson on twitter and he he posts uh there and you can get uh his thoughts on things um well once again thank you so much
1: i appreciate it very much john uh, love the interview god bless